Welcome to the intersection of theater and even more theater. You have achieved stage grok. Theater podcast coming to you from the geographic center of the American theater. I'm your host, Scott Miller. Today I talk with composer and lyricist Joe Iconis from his home in New York. Okay, thanks for talking to me today. Um, obviously, the main reason I wanted to talk to you is because Be More Chill is suddenly the most exciting thing in the musical theater. Um, <laughs> and I guess my first question to you is you've written a bunch of musicals, you've written a ton of songs. Um, is this really freaky, this reception you're getting, and did you expect it? It's, um, it is definitely freaky, but, like, freaky in the absolute best way. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, I certainly, I certainly didn't expect it, uh, when I first set out to write Be More Chill, but I'm also not entirely surprised by it. Um, you know, I kind of feel like, uh, I've been, because I've been doing this for such a, a long time, and, and because I've, you know, been lucky enough to have, have shows produced and, um, and I, you know, perform quite a bit, uh, I've, I've really felt like my, my material has connected with audiences. It's just been audiences on a, on a sort of small scale. You know, the only thing that I've yeah. done that sort of reached a large audience was, um, having the two songs on Smash that I had on Smash. Right. But otherwise, it's sort of, you know, my, my stuff is only kind of hitting the ears of a, a, a relatively small number of people. And I always kind of felt like, you know, if my stuff was ever given the chance to have a larger uh, platform, I really do think that people would uh, respond well to it. Um, <laughs> and you were I never, correct. <laughs> I, I was correct, yeah. Um, but I never would have imagined that the larger platform would have been like a, a viral sensation cast album of <laughs> a show that ran for four weeks. Like that's the part that is just completely uh, bizarre. And and do you have an explanation for it? Do you understand that phenomenon? No, it's something that uh, everyone who's been involved with the show has sort of tried to pinpoint. Um, <laughs> but I I really think that it's just a um, it, I think it was just a perfect storm of right. of things. You know, it's um, I mean something that is that is definitely um, uh, uh, for real is that you know I haven't. Be More Chill is the first cast album of a book musical that I've that I've had, you know, and so I think there is that. Like I just haven't had another show that's that's been able to um uh have been uh you know, listened to uh in a at least in a legal way. Uh and so, you know, <laughs> that's like that's part of it. And I think that, you know, Dear Evan Hansen, uh, when that sort of hit and um it was around the same time as Lightning Speed, you know, I had so much crossover with those two shows just in people yeah. that I've worked with, you know, people like Will Rowland and, and Ben Platt. I mean, one of my shows, The Black Suits, years ago, way before the Irvin Hansen. And then, you know, George Salazar, obviously, as uh, Enlightening Thief and Joe Trace and Stephen Brackett. So that's like, it's a whole, um, it's still like there's like lots of interconnected things. And I feel like that's probably where the first, um, why the first people who are sort of outside my 
before bit um, got into Be More Chill, because I, I feel like it was sort of like a perfect storm of, hey, this show is a show that a lot of people that I know have worked on, and the show Iconics guy is a guy that a lot of people that I know work with. So let me check this yeah. out. And then it just sort yeah. of, you know, it just sort of um, exploded from there. Amazing. Um, yeah. But, you know, the, the other thing, too, is that, I mean, the the actual, the, the Be More Chill itself really is this kind of, you know, like it's, sort of a celebration of, of uh, for lack of a better word, uh, misfits. And I, I use that word uh, completely um, uh, uh, respectfully uh, and would regard myself as a misfit. Uh, and, yeah. and, and I think that it's, you know, like most of the stuff that I, that I do, it's sort of giving voice to sort of the type of person who normally doesn't get a voice in musical theater. And so I think that that, you know, that clearly has really resonated with people and, and kids got that immediately once they discovered well, the show. But, you know, we're we're producing it here um, next June, yeah. and the reaction that we've gotten has been very much like the reaction you get. It's just, you know, overwhelming. And what it reminds me of is when we did the show Bear, we got that mm-hmm. same kind of reaction. And I think at the heart of it for both shows, there's this emotional um, authenticity, I guess, that mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. people recognize, and they're and they're like that's that's important to me when I find yeah. that authentic, when it speaks about my, my experience in a really mm-hmm. authentic emotional way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, and the thing that's been so funny about Be More Chill is that when I first wrote it, when I first, you know, sat down to, 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 to write the thing and, and throughout the whole process, you know, myself and my collaborators really, uh, you know, our conversations are about really sort of like heavy issues, you know, and, and for us, it's like the show is about some really serious topics, yeah. you know, like anxiety, yeah. like all of this stuff. Um, but it's sort of cloaked in this, you know, sci-fi musical, uh, comedy, um, uh, you know, a veneer or something. Right? And so, um, and so initially when we were doing the show, like the initial reception to it was sort of dismissive, you know, it sort of felt like people were like, oh, this is this cute, like, you know, like teen comedy, but it's not actually anything that kids would ever like because it's not real and like blah, blah, blah. And so it was so amazing that when the kids who first sort of discovered it, that sort of started this whole um, phenomenon, the stuff that they got was all of the, like, all of the, the, the real stuff that's sort of underneath, you know, and then, right. and then right. we're excited about the sci-fi stuff and the comedy stuff after that. But that would, the real stuff in the show is what resonated with people first. Well, and that's my favorite kind of theater where, it is, you know, uh, absolutely entertaining, you know, on a kind of basic level. But yeah. there's also all this guts underneath that yeah, makes it yeah. worth participating in that story, worth mm-hmm. telling, you know, telling and hearing that story. Right. Yeah. So, so, so sure. I want to ask you about your writing process. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know, is it different from show to show or is it generally the same? It's, um, I mean, it's good. It's, it's, it's it's generally the same, but you know it gets uh, it's definitely you know there's there's variance depending on depending on it's, it's actually the the, the biggest the, the the biggest uh, variant is, is dependent on whether I'm I'm working on a whole show or just like a song you know because uh, I write right. so many self-contained songs right. uh, that process is a little bit different than when I'm when I'm crafting a, an actual musical. Well, uh, so so let's start let's talk about writing a musical. Yeah, what's the for, I mean, a- after identifying, I want to tell this story. What, mm-hmm. Then, what's the first step? Um, the first step for me is usually 
you know, after, after I, after, as you said, I, you know, identify, I don't want to tell the story. I respond to these characters. These are, I think, what the larger themes are in this show. Um, I then go to a, um, a kind of like for a vibe place. You know, I, I, I get obsessed with like what I think the, the vibe of the show wants to be before I ever put, uh, pen to paper. And are you talking about music? Or are you talking about more than that, bigger than that? I'm, I'm, I'm talking about more than that for sure. The whole thing. So like, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, it definitely is, it's the, the, the music is the part of that that is sort of, you know, at the forefront and, and more than anything else, the music is, is going to sort of, you know, dictate what the vibe of any given show is. But, right. right. Um, but there is a bigger puzzle there. For sure. For sure. You know, and it changes the way that I write lyrics for the show and it's you know and if i'm writing book for a show it changes the way i write dialogue or structure scenes and um, i just sort of like you know i I like to think about okay what what do i think this thing wants to uh to feel like you know and 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 really and you know another word for vibe is style or you know personality or tone tone, yeah yeah it's what you know what is this thing and so you know for something like be more chill i was so excited about playing around with these sort of um, teen movie tropes and then in the, the sort of teen movie genre, really focusing on um, horror or sci-fi of the 70s and 80s and then also like horror and teen comedy of the 90s. And so it felt like, you know, I was obsessing over those sort of movies and then I sort of stumbled upon this idea of like, oh, it's like John Hughes and John Carpenter. And that really <laughs> informed, that informed um all of all of my my writing. So by the time I actually started writing things, I was so I had you know listened to so much and had sort of obsessed so much about what I wanted it to to feel like and whether that sort of comes through in the the show is sort of you know left up to interpretation. Um, but it's for me, it really helped me um, give a specific sound to this story that's you know on paper a contemporary story. Yeah, um, yeah. You know what? What was when I first read the script. The, the coolest thing for me is I'm reading along through Act One and I'm like, okay, I really like this. You know, this is really cool. And then we get to the end of Act One and then Act Two and all, and I'm like, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. <laughs> There's just all these surprises that were just so wonderful. After, you know, after the first act, I was like, that's great. I really enjoyed that. You know, I'm, I'm good. And then you just start screwing with me, and it was, it was really fun. But, but I assume that's kind of part of that. John Hughes meets John Carpenter. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know that was so that's so intentional. Again, like, I'm, I'm so I'm so glad to hear that you that you uh, <laughs> like that. You know, it's, it's the the sort of stuff that you're describing is the exact sort of stuff that lots of uh, theater people like hate. Like they hate when it's like I didn't see that coming at all. Um, you know, where they hate when it's like I thought this was supposed to be a story about teenagers, and now it's about you know computers taking over the world. Yeah. And that's like my favorite type of stuff, and that's such a that's such a movie thing. And in particular, it's like a you know it, it sort of stems from um, you know like like I said like the sort of horror movies of the seventies and eighties where you like think it's about like one thing, and then all of a sudden you're you know following like a different character entirely, which is also like a very yeah. Albert Hitchcock thing. And um, I just respond to it, but you know there's also a, a huge part of the show that uh, I was really inspired by uh, um, uh, the sort of uh, the sort of vibe and structure of um, of uh like horror anthology series from the the yeah. 80s from like Tales yeah. from the Dark Side and Tales from the Crypt. Yeah. Like that kind of that kind of vibe where it's sort of like, you know, you establish the you know, the first third of the thing is just like establishing the characters and then the characters are starting to this insane situation and then right. um you know, that that sort of um you know, tumble down of things that you didn't see coming. Uh, well and I, and I have to say, 
to, to the credit of, of you and your, your other Joe book writer, <laughs> uh, uh, every time there is one of those crazy surprises, it does feel totally organic to the story. Like, yeah, it yeah. never makes you feel like, oh, no, 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 that's not fair. You know, <laughs> right. Like, oh, my God, of course that's what happens now. You know, yeah, which is, yeah. That's really cool. Um, no, I, I, yeah, I love that. And, you know, I think that for us, it's, it's that that also really, um, you know, ties to uh, it ties to the experience of being a teenager, you know, and these things that feel like they're, they're out of a horror movie, you know, and these, your life is changing in ways and your body is changing in ways that feels like, you know, it's like, like a creature from another planet has descended into your, into your world. Um, so we sort of wanted those two things to be, be connected. Yeah. Right. So, so, so in this early stage, we're kind of figuring it out. What is this mm-hmm. thing I'm doing here? Um, do you, do you, establish any kind of concrete rules for yourself you know we will or won't talk to the audience um you know what kind of musical vocabulary that kind of stuff or do you let that evolve um for for this show i uh i let it i let it evolve yeah i felt like i wasn't coming at this with coming at this with strict rules of any kind was um, it like, like uh like the the famous sondheim rule content dictates form Mm-hmm. The story tells you what it should be, for sure, for sure, one hundred percent. I mean, and that's just that's something that I that's something that that I do so naturally. It's just the way that I write, you know, in a, in a way that I think my, you know, my I, I definitely have a, a a voice, but I think that you know I have different shows sound really different and different characters and shows sound really different because I, I mm-hmm. think that they they should. I never understand when I see multiple works by. Um, uh, uh, you know, a writer, and they all just sound like completely interchangeable. This is confusing <laughs> to me. I don't. I don't well, yeah, it. the music should be doing storytelling for us. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, so let me ask you this. So, um, I, I've written shows, but I've never um, adapted, you know, another source. Mm-hmm. And the the thing that I think would be difficult is the the translation of form. So mm-hmm. you know, so you're you're looking at a novel which obviously has way more material than you can ever possibly use. Yeah. And and you know, do you did you change? Stru- I, I haven't read the novel yet. Have you mm-hmm. changed structure? Have you left out a lot of stuff? Like how how do you decide? Okay, so here's the vocabulary of a novel. I need this in the vocabulary of the musical stage. Um, yeah, for you know, for me, I've I've adapted a few things, not a ton, but definitely a few, and. Um, anything I've adapted, it's, uh, w- when I first read it, it felt like, oh, there's a reason for me to musicalize this. You know, it felt, it felt like, oh, this isn't this thing that is so, you know, so perfect and iconic that I, I don't have anything to, to add to it. And so. Which um, would be awful. <laughs> it's, right. But I'm, it would be awful, but it's been time and time again when a, per- a perfect thing is for some reason musicalized for absolutely no reason. <laughs> um, but uh, but Be More Chill, Be More Chill as a as a as a book is amazing. It's a great read, but it's very much a a, a book book. And um, you know, no, um, well, this will be a slight spoiler. But the you know the ending of the book it sort of is revealed that it's the whole thing has been kind of like a essentially like a diary. Um, and so it, it it very much feels like it, it it works as a novel. But if you just tried to take Be More Chill the novel and put it on stage, it just simply wouldn't wouldn't work at all. And myself and my collaborator, we were so obsessed with the characters in the show. We loved the story. And then we sort of felt like two-thirds of the way through, 
the the book, it it the book goes in a direction that didn't feel totally um uh like it would be to make the best use of our, you know, the uh musical theater vocabulary. And so our biggest changes sort of happen on the on the the uh the end of the, the book, the sort of last third of the book. And um but yeah, I mean it's just it's sort of like it's you know, the the book is so um you know, this happens and this happens and this happens and you know, in, in novels like you have the the freedom to sort of flash back and flash forward in a very effortless way that, you know, if you're going to do it on stage, you sort of have to really embrace that you're doing that. But, you know, be more chill. The story is so clear and the characters are so clear that it actually sort of lent itself to the stage really well, you know, and the, um, we've, we've been really, um, uh, adamant about maintaining Ned's voice and, you know, Ned, uh, the author of the novel, um, uh, committed suicide a few years ago. And so it's, it's been really important to us to, to be true to his uh, his voice and his characters and his story, um, while also making the best musical that we can. Yeah. Uh, so, do you want a book to work with before you start writing songs, or not necessarily? Like I know, like Sondheim loves to steal from the book. Mm-hmm. Um. No, I mean my you know I'm a I'm a really messy writer. You know, so. <laughs> I, I don't have a. I'm not one of those writers. I mean, I'm I'm messy in um, just in like my the literal writing in my day to day life and the actual process. You know, like I don't have like oh I, I write from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. every day. I just can't do that. Uh, and so um, and so when I'm working on a show, you know, sometimes I'll have an idea for a moment and I'll just be like, I just need to write write this, write a song, and then we'll see how that song will fit into this moment once his actual book. And sometimes it's, I'll say, I just need like a two, I need two pages of scene for this moment. And then I'll, I'll start working from that. And then sometimes I'll, I'll end up writing a whole sort of musical sequence. And if like, you know, with something like Be More Chill, I sort of wrote that whole first um, opening more than survive. And I knew that there was going to be these little seamless inside of it. And I just sort of, you know, marked, okay, here, Jeremy's going to talk to his dad. I don't know what they're going to say, but it'll be something. And here, right. uh, Chloe and Brooke are going to be the, the locker. I don't know what they're going to say, but it'll be something. Um, or I'm sort of mapping it out. And then a, a book writer will come and, like, fill in, you know. Um, but it's it's funny. And, like, also, it's, I've I've had shows, you know, shows where I've written music lyrics and book. And sometimes I'll I'll end up writing a scene and then turn the scene into a song that happens. You know, quite a few times uh, with me, and vice versa. So sometimes I'll write a song, and it feels like you know this song could be accomplished in two lines, and everyone would be right. happier. Right. And everyone could like, you know, get to the bar sooner. So it sort of depends <laughs> on on the show. <laughs> I will always remember. I, I one time I uh, wrote a letter to Sondheim and asked him why the song "Loving You" in Passion is so short, mm-hmm. and he wrote back and said, "That's all she had to say." Yeah. And it's like, yeah, okay, that's right, that's <laughs> legit. Yeah. I love that. As someone who writes the longest songs known to man, I so I so appreciate and desperately want to be in a place in my life where I can write uh, as simply and succinctly as that. But until then, I will keep writing songs that are seven and a half minutes long. <laughs> well, I think it seems to work for you. It's, I mean, it's something. It's doing something. So, so we'll see. <laughs> So you sit down to write a song. Uh, how do you start? Do you noodle around on the keyboard? Do you start with a lyric? Do you start with a hook line? 
Yeah, nine times out of ten, I start with a hook, and it's usually it's usually something that I've like thought a ton about. You know, I'm a, like a, a text hook or a music hook. Um, so it's always it's always text, and then okay. there's usually music implied, but it always it always comes from like the idea or the lyric. Like I right. I I very very rarely have like a melody in my head that I'm you know thinking oh I gotta I gotta find some great words to fit this. This melody. It just never happens like that. The music always comes out of the lyric. And a lot of a lot of times it's so like the the music or at least in my brain, the music will be so inherent in the line that it's sort of like, Oh, that this is just what it is, you know, it's like like Michael in the bathroom, that's just what, what that was, you know. Right. Um I, I guess I would argue that's because you're not just a songwriter, you're a theater songwriter. <laughs> and so story is paramount, right? Yeah, always. Oh, so I just don't know, I, how to, really I don't know how to do it. Yeah, I don't know how to do it any other way. I feel like when do I try ever, to write pop songs, it's just it's just bad. They're not good. <laughs> uh, do you ever outline a song before you start? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Yeah, uh, do you do that all the time or no? Mm, it sort of depends. You know, sometimes sometimes when I I launch into a song, I know exactly what I want it to do, and right. it just you know sort of comes out and. Right. Um, and, and, you know, a lot of times in a song, I'll obsess over the first verse, you know, chorus or whatever the equivalent <laughs> is of the song. And then the rest of the song will kind of like, you know, surprise me. You know, I've, right. I've had that experience. Uh, I've had that experience many times. I have this song called, uh, called Party Hat. And, uh, the, 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 the story of the song is this, um, this woman, uh, who we get from the song is very sad. It's sort of, alone in her apartment and uh it feels like she's almost suicidal or there's something off about her and uh and and she says um the chorus of the song is i'm gonna put a party hat on my cat and dance around and play pretend so the song is about her wanting to put a party hat on her cat and like dance around her apartment and so i had had the i had the like the literal line i'm gonna put a party hat on my cat in my brain for years, like I just had it in my head, and I was like, oh, some someday I'm gonna write a song where the hook is I'm 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 gonna put a party hat on my cat, um, and I just never, you know, I never found the occasion or like the end to the song, and so then, you know, like years ago I sat down and I was like, I should try to write this this song, this party hat on my cat song. I started writing it, and in the song she talks about that her neighbors are like looking in on her because she's dancing around and um and uh then I, I sort of got to the halfway point and it, it sort of felt like oh she said everything she needs to say she's like you know she's going to do this she's going to put this hat on her cat um and then i was thinking like you know should you know should, should i have a neighbor should i have a neighbor come into this song or should i have you know like, like there's someone like you know knock on her door being like you're making too much noise and then she like finds his friend and then I, I started writing it and then I just like oh wait a minute no it's like the, the cat should be we should hear from the cat in this moment and get his point of view on like the events of the last minute uh, and then it becomes like a duet between this woman and her cat and the song is like actually about the things that we do for the people we love um, but that like literally it surprised me and that, that sort of surprise is something that's like in the actual song and when, whenever that song is performed people always you know sort of laugh. Uh, when it becomes clear that, like, her duet partner in the song is her cat, because we're sort right. of programmed to think that it's, it's going to be, like, a male suitor who will come and, right. like, solve her, you know, her problems. Um, and so I feel like that's a moment where, where I did not plan that at all, and the song kind of surprised me as I was writing it. That's awesome. Yeah. So, so when you're writing music, are you at the piano? 
it's uh it's it's messy man it's like i i i usually will i'll usually start not at the piano uh and then i'll go to the piano and then i'll i'll go to a you know a coffee shop uh or if the the time is correct i'll go to a bar and then i'll go back to a piano and so, so when you're sitting in the coffee place. shop, you're writing out on on computer or manuscript paper. Um, I so I never I never write out out the music. I um I'll, I'll write I'll do like a lyric sheet with chords, and okay. I just record everything. I I can totally I can read and write music. I'm just not right. great at it. I'm not great at actually notating my own stuff. I, it takes me forever, and I just hate the way it looks when I do. Well, so, I discovered there are quite a few musical theater composers like that. Yeah. Yeah, like Henry sure. Krieger, Dreamgirls, Harvey Schmidt, yeah. Fantastic. And so, yeah. You know. Yeah. I mean, and it's, it's weird because I'm very, I'm very specific. You know, I'm not, uh, I sort of have like a pain in the ass skill set because I'm not, <laughs> I'm not one of those writers that like, I'm just sort of like, oh, I'm writing a melody and some lyrics and you can fill in the chords, you know, to whoever's arranging it. I'm like right. super specific and I, I know exactly what I want. And right. and a lot of it is very complicated. Um, I just, don't uh, I just don't write it down, so it's just hell on whoever I'm working with. Well, that is definitely the least fun part of it. Oh, it's the worst. It's the worst. <laughs> I hate it. But I've I've managed to surround myself with people who love it and who it comes so easily to. Like my uh, my friend Charlie Rosen, who's who's oh. done orchestrations for you know my great Charlie Rosen. Oh, he's the the greatest. He can like he can just notate something in two seconds and it looks beautiful and like he'll. Yeah. Like in a rehearsal, he'd be like, "Yeah, hey, I got it, I got it, I got it," and I'll just do it. And like, in, and and in the amount of time that it, you know, it takes him to 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 do it, it's like I feel like, or in the, in the amount of time that it would have taken me to do what he does, it's it's you know, it would have been days. There would have been like right. two songs in the world. So, like that. Yeah. Um, okay, so 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 you finished writing a song, you feel good mm-hmm. about it. Yeah. Uh, what are the odds that at some point you'll change it and or cut it? Uh, it, it depends, it depends on the song, you know, I'm, um, my songs are so, uh, they're very, they're very fluid. And so I, when I, when I write something, I feel like it's never done until an actor is inhabiting it. And, um, you know, I was going to say nine times out of 10, but that's a lie. 10 times out of 10, a song of mine will change based on the actor who sings it the, the first time they sing it. And even subsequent times, you know, I, I like to go in with a, it's not exactly a sketch, but it's, there's just moments where it's like, oh, what is that rhythm? I don't know. What does it sound like coming out of Boron's mouth? And then yeah. that's what that rhythm becomes, you know? Yeah. Uh, the, um, the new song I love that, that. I, yeah, it's just, it's and just I bet the, the actors way. love that. They, um, they, most of them do. And I've encountered a few actors who, uh, who hate it. And a few actors <laughs> who very much are in the, like, in the world of like, just tell me what to sing. Yeah, which is totally valid. It's just not the type of actor that I should be working with ever. Right. And right. there's plenty of people who can who can say to an actor, "Sing this." What's on the page, and the actor will sing it. And it's like those collaborations are great. And I prefer a different sort of collaboration with um, with the people because I just feel like it's you know it's theater, it's alive. Like songs shouldn't sound the same coming out of two different people's mouths. They just they just shouldn't. Or I mean, that's what I think. And I think my work. Um, comes off the best when it's wrapped around whoever is performing it. Well, I mean, that's exactly the way I approach directing. I, I mm-hmm. want the actors to contribute because then it's going to be cooler. It's just going to be better. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I right, guess well, so, you have terrible actors, but... 
And that's your fault in the first place, or their fault. <laughs> so um, I want to talk specifically about Be More Chill. Um, huh? It had that initial, like, four-week run, right? Yep. Um, and there have been other productions now, right? Yeah. There's uh, quite, a few. quite a few, yeah. Um, it's running off-Broadway right now, and you've mm-hmm. made some fairly serious changes, I think, right? We have, yeah. We talk, talk about what is different now. Um, so the the biggest change, like the change that you see it, and if you have any familiarity with the show, you think, oh my goodness, that's really new, is this new song uh, for the lead character, Jeremy, that happens at the end of Act One. Now, it's, uh, it's a song called Loser, Geek, Whatever, and I wrote it because uh, I... I sort of always felt like Jeremy needed another song, and I, I kind of realized this once it was too late in, in, in our process <laughs> in Two River, um, aka we like were open and running, and <laughs> like, oh, wait a minute, I've been there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, it's just uh, too late. And sort of uh, in 2015, you know, we were all sort of hoping that what's happening now with the show would have happened then, and I kind of felt like, okay, well, you know, this is just our first production, and then we'll have another one. You know, when we move on, and I'm going to write that Jeremy song then, and then we never got a chance to have that production, and it just became something that sort of lived in the back of my mind um, yeah. for a while. And it, uh, and so I, uh, I ended up writing it in rehearsals uh, for this uh, run of the show because I tried to write it pre-rehearsals, I just couldn't because it was such a pressurized thing, you know, because the the crazy thing that sort of happened from you know, between our first production and now is that, um, you know, this, we have this, like, viral sensation cast album and the way so many people were introduced to the show and the cast album was through the song Michael in the Bathroom, yeah. which, you know, is this big song in the second act for um, for the character of Michael, played by George Salazar, um, who is sort of the, you know, for lack of a better uh, term, second banana in the show. And so <laughs> it's sort of, you know, it felt like, you know, not only do I think dramaturgically I need a song for our leading man, at the end of Act One, it also has to be. It's going to be a song that will invariably be compared to Michael in the Bathroom by people who both uh, love it and hate it. <laughs> so I just felt like I need to write something that is 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 different from that, but has just as much just as much impact as that, but also won't take away from the impact of that. So there were all of these very sort of specific uh, criteria that the song needed to fit into, while also just being a really you know honest, genuine song for this moment in the show. Did you feel like that crazy surprise passion for Michael in the bathroom, that that unbalanced your story in some way? I don't think it unbalanced the, I don't think it unbalanced the, I don't think the story is unbalanced now. I think that if I didn't write Loser Geek Whatever for Jeremy, I think it would be a, a, a strange experience to receive, um, to receive the show uh, with with you know Michael in the bathroom being sort of the only big solo for for um, for one guy in the show, um, but it's you know it's funny, but also I like I it, my whole career I've done this and it's such a it's such a like a stupid thing in some ways it's like it's stupid if you want to please a certain sort of person, but um, I just like I continually write these like big ass songs for the second banana characters because I'm so obsessed with the idea that like, just because you're not the lead character of the show doesn't mean that you don't have your own life happening. And, right. and I think in life, it's like, it's nothing as, as, as neat and tidy and, you know, no one is the, you know, just 
the, the, the hero of the story isn't the only one who has shit going on. And I always think, you know, anytime someone walks off the stage in a musical of mine, they're just, they're walking onto the stage of a musical where they're the lead. It's just, just so happens that in, in this musical that we're watching, they're not the lead. And so for me, it's like, I, I love being able to, you know, sort of surprisingly, like, you know, uh, rip the covers off the, the, a, a second banana character like that is, and, and, um, and give him something that's, that's, you know, huge and, and, and surprising. Um, and also specifically with Be More Chill, it feels like that's so the spirit of the show, you know, that yeah. in our show where like, yeah. where our leading man is a total weirdo and like, you know, and even, you know, now like Will Rowland, who's the most amazing charismatic actor, like he, 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 he wouldn't get cast as a leading man in 10 million years in any musical in New York City. He should, but like he's not, he's never, he's never, He's never not going to play the best friend, and so he's the leading man of this musical. Um, and but even in our show, where our leading man is that guy, is like the ultimate character guy. It's like the you know I love that the second banana gets a <laughs> huge moment. You know, it's like, it's, right? It's just the, the spirit of the whole thing that feels but, to me. but it's but it's a moment that illuminates everything around it. Oh yeah, yeah. I you know, I mean, it's it yeah. it is this wonderful little spotlight, but it's also completely organic to what's happening yeah yeah for sure for sure so yeah, so like have there been other every every character has their own like my hole in the bathroom moment you yeah know, yeah like, <laughs> yeah which is <laughs> which is just, I it's just like you know shots of like other characters or just kids in bathrooms who think they're the only one in the bathroom <laughs> right right yeah, yeah so are there, were there other um big substantial changes um, the other biggest change is the song Pitiful, Ch- Pitiful Children, um, which was a song that just always like bugged the hell out of me in New Jersey. I just felt like I never quite nailed what that moment was. And so the first half of that song has changed quite a bit lyrically, and the sort of whole situation is different. And um, I think that that felt like a wholesale rewrite of that, that moment. Uh, but the song still kind of feels like the song. Anyone with a passing interest in Be More Chill would sort of be like, oh, I think that song is the same. Right. And anyone who knows the show will uh, will be shocked and hopefully delighted by the new lyrics. So those are sort of the biggie things. And then um, lots of, like, tiny things throughout the show, some of which yeah. will be, you know, impossible to tell and some of which are a little more pronounced. Well, so at this moment, as we speak, um, still running off Broadway, do you, are there still things you want to change or you do feel pretty good now? I would work on something until someone <laughs> rips it away from me or parts me from the theater. I uh, I just think like theater is this thing that grows and evolves, and it's it's yeah. different every night. And so we yeah. can keep making it better, um, or I'll keep I'll keep doing that until one of my shows uh, goes to Broadway and I win a Tony and a Pulitzer. Maybe then I'll be like, and then you'll okay. stop. Yeah, with that particular, whatever show wins the Tony and Pulitzer, then I'll be like, okay, this is like what the show is. For now, I'll turn my attention to something else. But I feel like until then, I'm just, you know, I'm just gonna keep trying to make it as good as it, uh, as good as it can be. I'm like the the person who has like a notepad in the theater on our like last preview before opening. Like I'm not gonna, if I have the opportunity to like make it even the tiniest little bit. Better, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna do it. It's, uh, absolutely, absolutely. Well, you keep yeah. discovering different things, right? You, yes, you do. You really do. The biggest, you know, gift that you know was a gift I didn't really want, but having three years in between the premiere production of Be More Chill and this new production, um, it's just 
things that I, you know, I was so in my head about and that I, I couldn't see clearly. Three years later, you just kind of go like, oh, that's what this should be. You know, the perspective is a really right. amazing right. thing. Yeah. No. Yeah. So cool. Do you know if you're going to make another cast album? Um, we don't. We don't know. I, uh, I certainly want to. I, um, I think you know, we all want you to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, you know, we've certainly uh, heard from a lot of people who would be really excited about a New Zealand chill cast album. So it's definitely something that um, everyone involved in the show wants to have happen. And it's just about seeing how we make it happen because cast albums are so expensive. Yeah. They just cost so much money to make. Do you, do you know anything about Be More Chill's future? Um, yeah, for sure. It's going to be a uh, theme park in <laughs> Taiwan. Uh, Excellent. More chill land, yeah. <laughs> um, that's my, I said the other day, like I said that as a joke, that I was really hoping that it would uh, transfer to theme park. And I, uh, I'm i just I'm just going with it. That's my ultimate Excellent. dream. I've realized for me more chill. But no, listen, we all hope that it, it continues on after this off-Broadway run. And what that means, we don't really know right now. But um, every, everyone involved feels like actual love for this show in a way yeah. that seems pretty <laughs> remarkable um, to all the people. You know, and when I say everyone involved, it's like, you know, people like Jennifer Ashley Pepper, who's, who's um, one of our, our lead producers who I've been working with for, um, you know, uh, 10 years. And Jerry Goring, who's a lead producer who, you know, has been in this business for a while and who I've been working with for the past few years and, you know, are like college interns and our, you know, our, our management teams who have been doing this uh, forever. Everyone is sort of like, whoa, this is really special. I've never yeah. felt anything like this. So everyone so desperately wants it to, to keep going because it just feels like there's more people that that want to, uh, you know, be touched by our uh, weirdo, maximalist, pop, sci-fi, musical comedy. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it seems it seems like the very least that will happen is that we'll have a it will have a long and vigorous life in regional theaters. Yeah, yeah. Like there's already huge uh, enthusiasm about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is you know the coolest thing. That's that's yeah. so so thrilling to me. Um, but yeah, everyone really loves this production and this and this cast and um you know my uh my wife uh Lauren Marcus is, is in the show. She's very amazing in the show. Uh but you know I I really personally just want the thing to uh continue with this cast because then uh I'll lose the benefits of her being in it like by, via her paycheck. Uh, <laughs> you know I wouldn't I'm not gonna get a paycheck if you know someone else's uh you know partner is in the show. So I'm just trying to push push this cast to keep going as long as humanly possible. And I'm friends with, like, all of them, too. So, you know, as long as they're making money, and then my, you know, my dinner and drinks are covered for each round in. So I just want to keep going. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a very selfish reason. All right, well, so I have to ask you my last question, which uh, I love asking of theater people. Um, I honestly believe that we are in the middle of a new golden age of musical theater. Do you think that's true? Oh, yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Everybody says yes. I, I, yeah. I think it's really true. I do too. I do too. I mean, and the, I think that the reason that we can feel like that is just because of the, of the stinking social media, which, yes. is, yeah. you know, is a pain in the ass a lot of times, but it's, it's, you know, it actually is a really incredible way to build a community and to just get things seen that would never normally be seen. And so, yes. you know, you, like in a world where like Broadway used to be the only platform for things to be, 
seen on a grand scale, we're now, you know, getting to see shows that, um, you know, that, that, that haven't been in, you know, in, in, in a hundred miles of Broadway, uh, yeah. and, and, and getting the exact same amount of attention as these shows that are sort of preordained hits or, or sort of big blockbusters or whatever. And so, um, yeah, it's like all of this great, unusual work that would never normally be seen in a wide scale is getting to be seen. And there's just amazing stuff out there, you know, there's really incredible musicals. Um, and, and, but also like the fact that, you know, that shows like, that, you know, Dear Evan Hansen and, and, and Natasha Pierre and, and all of those things that, that, that those can be, and Van Visit, like, that those can be not only on Broadway, but hits on Broadway and making their money back. And it's, it's really exciting. It's a cool, uh, it's a cool time for sure. Yeah, it really is. And I think part of it is that we get so many musicals now that are so personal that aren't in the least bit commercial. Mm-hmm. Um, and I and I think that's true. Your stuff is so personal. It's so you in this material, and I think that's part of what is different now. Um, yeah, thanks, thanks. I I think so too. You know, and, and like Lord knows, there's still um, the opposite that that is out here <laughs> huge in a huge way. But like, man, my hope my hope is that the more these these weirdo personal you know shows um, become popular, the more People are kind of grossed out by the the other stuff, you know. And I, right. I do. I right. love the idea of I love the idea of Broadway, um, you know, commercial theater being a place that that that's big enough for for everyone. You know, I I I, I love it. I love like a big splashy Broadway musical, and I love that you know that a big splashy Broadway musical can be playing next door to a, a tiny weirdo, you know, personal yeah. story. Can be playing next door to you know Carousel. Like it's just I I, right. I love that sort of variety. Um, for sure. So I think all those things can exist, or at least I hope they can. Well, on behalf of a ton of people, thank you for being more chill. I mean, for all your work, but thank you for being more chill. It's really, really a special piece. Uh, thank you so much. Thanks for doing it. Yeah. And, uh, and thanks for talking about this. It's, uh, it's really been cool. Thank you for joining us. This is Scott Miller. Now you too have achieved stage rock. See you next time.